I don't know about this technology stuff. It's a going. It's it's somewhat like our little blue bullet. I think it's going to be a process of sanctification for me. What's that little? Need a little more volume. There you go. Yeah. So y'all pray for me. Pray for the pastor that he learned sanctification through the sound system. It's a good thing, right? Great passage in Luke that we're going to be looking at today. So take your Bibles and turn over to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We are making our way through this amazing book starting in the beginning of Luke. And it's interesting how this is all working out. We'll probably be dealing with the Christmas story at about the same time as Christmas, which is great. Uh, we'll be walking right through the first couple of chapters over the next couple of months. And I've already been highly encouraged as the sun is rising, literally. It's, all, it's just like that beautiful sunset or sunrise, rather, um, when you look out and you see the sun coming up over the field and see all the, uh, the uh, life and how everything is uh, coming to life and, and, and uh, uh, the colors and everything becomes very vivid. We have that picture here in Luke. As the sun is rising, in a sense, we're seeing more and more of the sun who is coming, the Messiah to come. And last week we dealt with a promise of a prophet this week we're going to deal with a promise of a son. You can follow along in your notes inside your bulletin. You can follow, just add the lines. Many of them will be underlined, hopefully, on the PowerPoint as we go along. Last week we dealt with the promise of a prophet. We saw a very, uh, uh, it was a promise to be to an unexpected couple. Those who were the forerunner of the Lord, the son who would be a forerunner of the Lord, uh, came to an unexpected couple. We also saw the fall and discipline of a believer. One of those men, the, the father, uh, doubted. We saw that in Luke chapter 1. Remember where Zacharias says, how is this going to, give me a sign. Give me a sign that I can know for sure, in effect, is what he gets at. We have seen how he was faithful, yet he doubted. And therefore, God responded with discipline and blessing. Then we saw an outcast woman became the recipient of God's favor. To kind of conclude that, look back at verses 24 and 25. We saw here the condition, the new condition of this couple. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant and she kept herself in seclusion for five months saying, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. We saw last week that God has opened the womb of this lady so she can have a child, a lady that was obviously an outcast amongst her people because of her condition, disgraced but now favored by God, given blessing. We'll see why she hides it in the upcoming weeks. I think it all points to the Messiah. We'll talk about that in the upcoming weeks. But now we move on to the next major scene that unfolds before the coming Messiah. It's found in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. In Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. So let's read this passage. 
Now in the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her own age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondservant of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this passage. We thank you for the glorious uh, miracle that you have begun here and that you revealed yourself in the glory to come in your Son. Father, we pray that these words, as we've probably all heard them numerous times, we pray that they will not become just another sermon. We pray that our hearts will be prepared to hear and that we will hear what your word says and that we will apply it to our lives that we may serve you faithfully, obedient to your word as you deserve. Thank you, Father, for your glory that is revealed here. Help us, Lord, now to hear and respond in obedience. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. In our passage, we see in verse 26 and 27 the setting for the promise of a son. The setting of a promise of a son. I don't know why that says prophet. There you go. Another one of those little things. The setting for it. The setting for the promise of a son. It's found in verses 26 and 27. The setting paints a picture of an unexpected candidate or candidate for God's glory being revealed. An unexpected one. Again, we have it over and over throughout the Gospel of Luke. The unexpectedness of God. That God does not always work the way we think. Notice the setting. First, it starts in the sixth month. Notice in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. The sixth month is also the sixth month since John has, or or since Elizabeth has been impregnated with John. Notice over in verse 36. 
It says, And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. So we have this idea that the forerunner has happened first, and now in the in this uh, relative of hers has a, is going to have a child also. Notice also the background. An angel, Gabriel, is sent from God. Gabriel we've already seen as he talked with Zacharias, and now he deals with Mary. The same angel sent to Zacharias. He is a divinely sent messenger who comes with the authority of God himself. He's a divine messenger. And an unexpected visit by one of God's greatest angels to an unexpected village lady, a lady in a small village. Notice, it's in a city of Nazareth in Galilee. One of the reasons why it's probably mentioned to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, the reason why the location or the region Galilee is mentioned is because Nazareth was a small little town. This was a backwoods, a small town, a very... um, rural area in that in in Galilee and so many of the people that were reading Luke wouldn't have even understood where Nazareth was this is not a famous city even though we all know of it we've all heard the name at that time it would not have been a very famous city it was a small town so here is a small town lady visited by an angel from God one of God's highest angels what do we see here again unexpected not what we would have picked right think about it why a little town why a little virgin lady in a little town this is the way God decided to do it and he did it in an unexpected way notice also she was engaged a woman named Mary it says in verse 27 to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph this word engaged is a Uh, the word betrothed in the Greek. The concept was in the Jewish households, there was a two-part section of marriage or aspect of marriage. The first part was the engagement. And during that engagement, it was for approximately a year. And during that time, there was obviously no relations between the father and, or the the husband and the wife. It was a, a year of set apart. He took on financial responsibility for her But he did not have relations with his wife. And that would be important. Here again, we have a lady that you wouldn't pick to be the Messiah. Unexpected. All of this is building up in this setting. An engaged woman named Mary. Mary was engaged to Joseph, who was a descendant of David. Now notice in verse 27 again, it says, Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Betrothal, again, was that first stage, and Joseph was in the lineage of uh, David, which was important, right? Why? Because of the Davidic covenant. God had made a promise to David. And here we have another case of God revealing his plan through David and Joseph being a part of that Davidic line. I want you to notice, though, over at Luke chapter 3 for a second. Look over. Luke chapter 3, verse twenty. This is very interesting the way this is worded. It's argued whether or not of the descendants of David is referring to Mary or of Joseph. 
Well, we know here in Luke chapter 3, verse 23, it says, When he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30, oh, excuse me, yeah, yeah, excuse me, 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph. Do you see that? As was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Eli. Okay, now, think of that now, Joseph, the son of Eli. Now, go with me over to Matthew chapter 1 for a second. Matthew chapter 1. Joseph's father is, this would be a responsive time. Normally I don't do this. Based on that verse over here in Luke chapter 3, verse 23, Joseph's father is who? Eli. Eli. Okay. Then notice in Matthew 1, 16. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Which one is it, Jacob or Eli? Yes, is the answer. Yes, is the answer. Jacob was Joseph's father, but most likely Eli was Mary's father. Why would Eli be then called Joseph's father? Well, there's precedence already in the Bible. In Numbers chapter 27, verses 1 through 11, and chapters 36, 1 to 12, we have a picture of the idea that if a woman, didn't, a man, did not have any sons, that the, the inheritance would go to the daughters. And that the daughters' husbands would then become what? As if they were his son. So we have this beautiful picture of what here? The Davidic line coming through Mary and Joseph in an amazing way. A beautiful picture of God's sovereignty. It's interesting, too, as we will delve into this later. Legally, it goes through Joseph, but naturally, it goes through Mary, which would be important, right? Naturally, Mary was literally the mother, whereas Joseph was not. Joseph was not the father. He was the, for lack of a better term, adopted father, <laughs> or his stepfather. As it, I, I'm trying to think of a term. That's the best way to say it. Okay? Uh, Joseph acted as his earthly father. So here we have a very unexpected set of circumstances. Things are unfolding in a way that you just wouldn't have figured it out. And that's the way the world often doesn't think. The, the world thinks, oh, where should he have been born? Think for a second. In the history of Israel, when would the world have picked for the arrival of the Messiah King? Think about it for a second. If the world was determining when should the Messiah King show up, my guess is they would have picked right away or they would have picked maybe right after the promise of David was made, right? Maybe Solomon at the height of Israel's power. Wouldn't that have been the time? I mean, after all, if Jesus would have come through David... Where would his crib have been? In a palace. He would have been in a rich mansion. But God determined and showed and pointed to this promise to a little rural lady in a town of Nazareth. In the history of Israel, who would you have picked to be the Messiah's mother and father? 
Most would have picked the highest of high, maybe Solomon or David or one of the greatest of kings in Israel. Where would the world have picked for the parents to be living? Again, probably in Jerusalem. And we see an interesting contrast here between Zacharias, right? Zacharias, the forerunner, does come in Jerusalem, right? It's pointed out there. Now, we know that Jesus will be born in Bethlehem. But where he was conceived and where the Lord put him into Mary's womb was in Nazareth, a place far, far away, in a little town, unexpected. He picks the opposite, folks. Listen to me closely. He picks the opposite of what the world picks. And at the same time, listen to me, he picks the opposite of what you think often, too. We have a tendency to say, God, why don't you do things the way I think? We don't say it, but we think it. Why aren't you doing it this way? Why are you doing that? Why are you allowing those people to do that? Why? God works in unexpected ways. What are we called to do? Trust him. Very simple. Trust him. Again, trust him. We say, oh, I do that, Mike. I do that. We do it until events happen in our lives. Like everyone in this room probably had something. How many in here, you don't have to raise your hand, got frustrated this week? <laughs> How many of you in here thought, why is this happening? Why is it like this? How about everybody? I would imagine, right? God does things in unexpected ways. And he did it perfectly with Mary. And he's working in our lives too. He knows what he's doing. We must trust him. That's the setting. The rest of the passage fold, unfolds this way. The birth announcement and the response to the announcement. The birth announcement's found in 128 to 33, and then the response to the announcement's found in verses 34 to 38. Let's look first at the favored one. The way I'm going to kind of unfold this passage and look at it, I want to cover this passage by looking at two of the main characters in this passage. Today we're going to look focus on these two characters revealed in the passage. The first of the characters is the favored one. The favored one. The favored one is obviously who? Mary. Right. So let's look at the favored one. Who's the great one? It's not Gabriel. <laughs> it's Jesus. I think actually in, in some strange way, I think we should not focus too much on Gabriel. And we have to be careful of focusing too much on Mary. <laughs> Because ultimately, the whole passage, again, and I can't stress this to you enough, in the way that it's literary lined, lined out or laid out, is to focus on the one who is coming. Verses 30, notice in verse 30. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name, you shall name him Jesus. All of from 30 down through 34 is the main section of this passage. It's what it's really all about. It's about the great one. And that's what we're going to try to focus on. First, we're going to look at the favored one, and then we'll move on 
to the great one. So let's look at five aspects of Mary revealed in this passage. First, as already mentioned, the favored one is the unexpected one. Again, we see this to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. And coming to her, he said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. She's unexpected in that, that most likely when people got betrothed during that age, ladies were around, it could be as young as 12 years old. Wow, that's a shocker, isn't it? Think about this. How many of you, ladies in the room, when you were 12, maybe 13, could have handled an angel coming to you and saying, you're going to have a son? <laughs> Can you imagine? 12 or 13, you're going to have a son. This speaks to our culture a little bit, I'm afraid. Our culture often thinks that ladies, uh, we have this thing called adolescence and what you do and men and ladies just kind of need to sit back and just uh, we're just going to sow our wild oats until we hit 21 and then we'll grow up. Uh, the culture doesn't work that way in this time. Ladies at 12 and 13 were already getting engaged and betrothed. What does this speak to us as a society? Hey, this speaks to let's grow up, right? This isn't a time for us to just kind of sow and do whatever we want. All right, that's a swift kick to the teeth, huh? <laughs> the reality is this. Here we got this young lady, and she is very unexpected. She lived in a little town, as mentioned, and she wasn't married yet. This is as unexpected as you can possibly think. And contrary, and contrary to Roman Catholic doctrine, she was a sinner saved by grace through faith. Now, why do I say that? Well, because obviously all of you have heard of the Roman Catholic doctrine that says what? Mary was perfect, sinless. In fact, Mary, in their doctrine, was also born from a virgin. Her mom was a virgin. You know what, folks? That is, uh, with the, and I'm going to say this as kindly as I can, with a capital G, garbage. The Bible does not say that. She was a sinner saved by grace through faith in God. How do I know? Well, here's a great passage to remind you of this. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 47. Mary says it. Look. In verse 47, Mary speaks, and we'll get to this coming up. And Mary said, My soul exalts in the Lord, verse 46, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. To be a Savior is to be what? One who delivers someone. Who was she? What was she delivered by? From? She was delivered from her sin. He's her Savior. God is her Savior. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, this is an important thing for us to understand. That she is unexpected. <laughs> she was chosen by God. And she was a sinner saved by grace, a young lady in a little town who was not married yet, as we see. Second notice, she was favored. This is a very important little phrase, both phrases. If you mark your Bibles, these are, this is one to mark. And coming to her, verse 28, coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one. What does that mean, favored one? The term at first glance may be misunderstood. This is only if you have a, that is, if you only have a wrong worldview. 
favored one is not because she earned favor, not because she was a perfect lady, but because she was a recipient of God's grace. That's what it means to be favored one. Literally, that's what that word means. Write that down. It means recipient of God's grace. Someone who received God's unmerited favor. She is the object of God's grace, his gracious favor. It's so crazy at times how the uh, Roman Catholic Church actually makes Mary one of uh, one who gives favor. <laughs> She's the one who gives grace and turns the very passage upside down <laughs> and makes it about the, her giving it. Because she earned grace, she now then gives grace. You know what that is? Garbage. Again, I'm sorry. She was a sinner saved by grace. And why did she have a child? Why did she have the God-man come and live in her? And why did she birth the God-man? Grace. Unmerited favor from God. Again, this concept is further revealed in the words in Luke 1.30. Notice. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Or you have found grace with God. You have found unmerited favor with God. This does not mean she went searching for grace and got a child. <laughs> it means God's goodness is all about blessing her and giving her a gift that's beyond comprehension. Mary was about receiving God's special favor, not because she earned it or even asked for it. It appears that this is a completely off the a shocker for her. Now, maybe she would have prayed for children by this age. She was betrothed. But I'm pretty sure, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure she wouldn't have been praying for the Messiah to come through her. It doesn't say it, but that would have been very unexpected for a little lady living up in Nazareth. Hopefully, but the reality is, is he says nothing about an answered prayer to Mary like he had done with Zacharias. Here we have the fact that it's all unmerited favor. So we don't get this idea that it's about gaining favor by our deeds. It's by God's favor given by grace alone. Third, I want you to notice that she was aided. Notice how she was aided. It says, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Oh, this is a phrase you need to mark your Bibles with. If there was one phrase that you need to understand, it's that phrase. The Lord is with you. The way God's grace is worked out is he was with her. The Lord is with you. God was with her through all the events of the future and that were going to unfold. To illustrate this point, Throughout the Old Testament, this phrase of the Lord being with a person was the highest means of encouragement for the person. It was for the person to know God is on your side. He is with you. To Isaac in Genesis chapter 26, 24, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear for I am with you. In Jacob, he said, Behold, I am with you to and will keep you wherever you go. To Joseph in 48.21, Jacob says to Joseph, God will be with you 
And God says to Moses in Exodus 3.12, Certainly I will be with you. Moses pleads for God to go with the people of Israel. Go be with us. Go with us. What is this point? Over and over, Joshua 1.5, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, God says. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. And Gideon, in Judges 6.12, The Lord is with you. And David, I have been with you. If God is with a person, what's implied by this? All of his power, all of who he is, all of his grace is supporting that person. Wow, what a promise, huh? What favor. Mary, I'm with you, is what God said. We know from Matthew 28, what did he say to the disciples on the Great Commission, right? Same concept. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, Jesus said, and lo, I am with you forever. This concept of God being with us. John 14 makes it clear that genuine believers of the new covenant, the Holy Spirit is what? With them. Literally, God is with us. Oh, folks, for all of us who have repented and trusted in Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have this same promise. God is with us. And it all comes because the Son who was to come to provide that for all others that would believe in him. So no problem we face, folks. Listen closely. No trial we face, no temptation we face is too big for God. He's with us. Be encouraged. This great truth. We must trust in his all-powerful influence to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. How many of you read the New Testament and read some of the epistles and, and say, Man, these commands are seem almost impossible to obey. Have you read them? Or am I the only one? You read them and you say, Man, when the enemy strikes you, turn the other cheek. When somebody mistreats you, bless them. How in the world do you do that? Answer, he is with you. <laughs> By his grace, working in the lives of believers, the Holy Spirit working in us, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Right? You can if you know this God. If you've trusted in him, he will work in you. It is possible. Trust him and he will work. Ultimately, Mary knows that these things are going to happen. How am I going to know? Because he's with me. He's the one that gives out the grace. So, she was unexpected favored. She's, she was unexpected. She was favored. She was aided by God. Next we see, she was perplexed. Perplexed. These events greatly perplexed her. Notice what Mary's response, verse 29, but she was very perplexed at this statement. That's a great translation there of that word, perplexed, agitated, completely overwhelmed by this salutation, this greeting 
from the angel as she was pondering what kind of greeting was this all about. Over and over it is the way this is worded in the Greek. A constant, wow, this is too much, I can't get it. Wow, perplexed. We often get this impression that Mary was some higher level of believer. We think, wow, she must have been something special. She must have had something really high. Well, this verse kind of reminds us that she was just a human. She's just a human. She was perplexed. These events greatly perplexed her. She was continuously reasoning in her mind. You know, this gives me a lot of encouragement. I don't know about y'all. It gives me encouragement because God doesn't just pick the super saints to do his work. He doesn't pick those that are just got it all fixed and everything's in order. And when something happens, I know, or y'all like me, an event happens in your life and you get a little bit worried. A little bit of anxiety comes. Well, that is natural for the sheep. Now, how you respond to it is not good. You must turn to Christ and trust in him. But here we have this concept of Mary just being perplexed over these events. This is big. Are you perplexed? Do you get perplexed? How do you respond? God is good. He preserves the simple. Mary was not some super saint. She probably wasn't a great theologian. She might have studied her Bible. I pray she did. I'll tell you, when she speaks over here in verse 46, it's pretty amazing stuff. But my guess is, is that she, wouldn't have, she didn't go to rabbi school because that wasn't around then. Right? So the reality was is that she was just a simple lady. What does this say? This says God picks the simple to preserve. In, verse, in Psalm 116, it says there, the Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. How about 1 Corinthians 1.26? I love this verse. Boy, this is an encouragement for me. I don't know about y'all. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh. That's me. Not many mighty or many noble. That's me. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. That's why you've got this beautiful picture of Mary. You wouldn't have picked her, would you? I mean, if you were doing a survey of Israel, I'm pretty sure nobody in this room would have said, Oh, it's Mary. The Messiah is going to come through. God picked the simple. The, the unexpected. The frail a little bit. Perplexed. Greatly perplexed. I was encouraged by this. Psalm 113. Look at it again with me. Turn your Bibles. Psalm 113. So encouraged. I hope you're encouraged by this, folks. This should be one of those believers where y'all, y'all that are believers, everybody that's a believer in here, you should walk out of this place very encouraged. <laughs> Psalm 113 says this, Praise the Lord, Hosanna, or uh, hallelujah rather. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forever. 
From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is enthroned on high? Who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. To make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He makes the barren woman abide in the house as a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. What do we have here? We've seen it with Elizabeth and we see it again with Mary. God taking the simple, the unexpected one, and exalting them and blessing them. Oh, folks. This should speak to your hearts. It speaks to mine. We're just this little church plant in the middle of Tampa that, what, 60 to 80 people come to. Yeah. Yes. And that's the kind of people that God picks. God chooses to work in people, simple people. I'm thankful, aren't you? I'm the simple one. Many of you out there, I, I'm sometimes very convicted by just your level of education you overwhelm me sometimes i was on campus this week talking to this guy that was a science guy and he was arguing with me and saying for sure god does not or no he didn't say god doesn't exist he said i'm a deist god's out there he spun it and left it and he argued with me he argued with me and he wanted to talk to me more and more come on keep talking to me i'm like I'm wasting my time with you. You don't really want to talk about Christ. You don't want to repent. You don't want to trust in Christ. It's your sin that's causing you this way. I'm just simple. You mean you just believe the Bible's it? The Bible's authority and that's it? Yeah. God wrote it through men and it's perfect, trustworthy. That's enough. But God picks the simple of this world i am very thankful for that and y'all please forgive me because i'm not this great theologian but god doesn't care about that he cares about your heart where's your heart and he'll take any of you in this room and he'll use you greatly for his glory isn't that good news yes our God is all about the orphans. Our God is all about the barren. Our God is all about the unexpected little rural lady out in the country. Our God is all about the simple ones. I'm thankful for that, aren't you? Our God is a gracious God. So she was unexpected. She was graciously favored. She was aided by God and she was perplexed. She was also a mother. She was going to be a mother. She will be pregnant with a special child, as it says in verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. She will be pregnant with a special child. We all know that God worked in a miraculous way to impregnate Mary with the Son of God himself. This is a reference to the virgin birth. This is a miracle. This is, an explain, is not, rather, explainable by science. This is not a case of a cover-up or a lie, by the way. The Bible is true. 
This is a miracle. Like the resurrection is a miracle. The creation of the world in six days is a miracle. The incarnation of the Son of God in Mary is a miracle. If we try to come up with a scientific explanation for the incarnation of Jesus, guess what? You're not going to get one. It's a miracle. How does God come to earth and become a man? A miracle. It is interesting this week, I asked many of the students we, in our, one of our survey forms, we asked if they believed in miracles. I was shocked. Most of them said yes. Most of them said yes. But what was interesting was when you asked them the next question, what is the biggest miracle you can think of in your life? They came up with these, some of these very cheesy answers like this. Peace between two men. In other words, they lower what a miracle is. They make it just, you know, something that's just commonplace. Miracles, just anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? A smile on a baby is a miracle. Well, yeah. Come on. It, it, explain what you mean by that. Um, well, you know, seeing a smile on a baby is pretty. It's a miracle. Well, yeah, it is a gracious gift of God, yes. But a miracle is breaking the laws of science, right? Doing something that you can't explain by natural occurrence. The baby could have just got tickled and smiled, right? This is a miracle. Hi, something big. Here we have one of the most amazing miracles to ever happen being revealed to this lady. I'm going to be, this lady is going to be used in it. An unexpected, simple country girl is about to have the God of the universe in her stomach. That is, have you ever just stopped to contemplate that for just a second? I mean, that song, you know, y'all have all probably heard it. Did you know? You know, Mary, did you know? But just think about the ramifications of that. The ramifications of God, the creator of the universe, being placed inside of the womb. That is staggering to me. Do you realize that that means that at one point, Jesus in his humanity was smaller than our finger? What in the world? Why would he do this? Answer, our sin. All to come to be a savior for us. Wow. What a glorious truth. What an amazing God we serve. Look, folks. If you understand these miracles in the Bible, there is no reason in the world for you not to trust him with your life and to obey him. If you really get what these miracles are all about, that God is the supernatural God that made everything, and incarnated himself inside of a woman and then died and was placed in the grave. That was the other miracle I asked him about this week. Placed in a grave for three days. I asked him, has anybody else raised from the dead? They all wanted to say, a lot of them wanted to say, well, I have heard of people coming back to life after, you know, those near-death experiences. And all I have to do is say, three days? No, I always would get 
a little tough with them. Rigor mortis would set in, right? He was in a grave, dead, three days. If you understand this miracle-making God, should you not live your whole life completely devoted to him? Is there any reason why in the world that we shouldn't all just all be about serving him with everything that we do? Yes. That's what miracles are all show us, that he's a powerful God. We stand for the truth that to the mind of man is impossible. We stand on these truths. They don't make sense to the mind of man. By the way, I would, I would say to you this. Listen closely. To believe in God is impossible apart from the grace of God. But by the grace of God, it's the most logical and reasonable thing to do. Did you catch that phrase? A miracle. How? God did it. How do I know? Grace. Can I give you scientific proof? Can I do it again? No. God could if he wanted. But he doesn't need to. He provided. So we see here an amazing favored one. Let's look next at the great one. The great one found in verse 32 and 33. Okay, let's don't look at the great one. Looked up and time's gone. We'll look at the great one next week. What do you think? Does everybody understand? That was uh, that. That is not a typical landing of the plane, as they say in homiletics. That's called a crash landing. Boom! That's not how you're supposed to end a sermon. Uh, just a side note on this, though, ladies and gentlemen, as you understand the glory of our Savior and understand that He chooses weak, simple vessels like me and you. Some of you in here are saying, I'm not simple. <laughs> you probably aren't, but I am. He chooses simple, weak people like us to display his glory. You should be encouraged. Folks, just another side note to conclude. Don't ever write somebody off. When I look at those orphans and I see the impossibility of the task of 132 million orphans out there, that task seems to overwhelm me. But I am going to spend my life, I'm going to spend my life trying to make converts, pointing people to Christ, so that out of this group that I talk to, one or two of you, three or four of you, 10 or 20 of you, or 100 to 2,000 of you will go and share the gospel with these orphans and share the glory of Christ around the world. That's what this church is going to be about. By God's grace, that's what we're going to be about, about sharing the gospel with people that need it. Next week, we start a whole new world. Next week, we are going to add roughly 30 people, 30 maybe more, people that do not hear. They can't hear. Don't alienate yourself from them. Do your best to communicate with them the best you can. I want you to love these people. They can reach people you can't reach. 
They can talk to people you can't reach. And if you will show them the love of Christ, even in your actions and how you serve them, they will be spurred on to love their fellow deaf people. I want us to be a church that can unify around Christ and his love for us. There are going to be differences, but I want you to love these people, okay? I call you to do that based on the grace of God that's living in you. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, today is a great day to trust him. Repent of your sins and trust in him today. Okay? Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for your grace and goodness to us. We are desperately needy people. Maybe not the highest intellect in this world. Maybe not the most popular or the most powerful. Maybe not rich or any of those things. But Father, as we saw with Mary, you don't always choose the high and exalted. And God, we just want to thank you for choosing us. We know that you did not choose us based on our merit. We know that it is grace and grace alone is the only way, reason why we know you and love you. No, God, we just trust you. We know that you are worthy of all of our worship. We pray that you will make us fishers of men. Help us to know that you are with us always. Thank you again for this congregation, these people. I pray that you encourage their hearts to go out and love and share the gospel of Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen.